All right. Praise the Lord. All right. Well, let's go ahead and turn open in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. And we are going to go verses 16 through 21. So Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 21. Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 21. Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 21. All right, it says, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, What does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to preach your word again. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to speak your word and only your word. Nothing else, Father, really matters from this pulpit. I pray, Father, that you would help me to discern the will of your spirit, that your spirit would guide me, that he would lead me this morning, um, that he would help me to just honor you and glorify you. I pray that I would not get in the way of, of your preaching, Father, that I would purely be a conduit for your voice. I pray, Lord, for the hearts and the minds of all those who may listen and may hear, that, Lord, you would help them to live this out, that this would take root and, and bear fruit in their lives, that it would not grow stale, that the enemy would not come and pluck it away, but instead, Father, that it would uh uh, be able to weather the storms of life and that we would be able to flesh this out with how we live by what we say and by what we do. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we approach this text, we're, we're continuing our series through the book of Acts, and we see that Paul is now in another city. He is in Athens, and, and up until this point, he has been ran out of every city leading up to this. And I, and I oftentimes find it difficult to stay on mission when you're presented with obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. And many times that can be really discouraging, can it not? Those are the times when we really want to give up. Those are the times when we, we want to pull back. We want to somehow, one way or another, Christianize our cowardice. We want to retreat from the marketplace. We want to somehow hide under the auspice of, well, you know what, just this is my ministry. But we see that Paul doesn't have that mindset. Instead, Paul has a consistent mindset that no matter the obstacles that may be presented, I'm going to consistently engage. And I, and I find myself convicted as a believer on how many times I wrestle with and I rationalize and I reason and I provide myself an excuse to not engage with the devout believers, to, to not engage with the marketplace, to not engage with people. Instead, my Christianity is encompassed just in this building. And that's an indictment. For a lot of us, is it not when you really 
think about the extent of our Christian witness, are we Christians outside of here? Like, I mean, I know we, we are moral outside of here, but are we Christians outside here? And please understand there's a, there's a difference between those. I think there is morality and humanity that, that, is, that is found within the, the, the Christian tradition. However, it's that plus more. Atheists can be moral. Atheists can be humanitarians. They can do all, top, uh, all, all types of work to help people. But we are called to be believers, to be ambassadors, to be Christians that are engaged. And we are taught to personify Christ who left the comfort of heaven and engaged in a fallen and dying world. How then do we excuse ourselves from the mission field? And I think so oftentimes we do, but we see the complete antithesis to that here in this passage. So there's a couple things here that we see, and I won't be before you long because a dear brother um, is going to be doing a a presentation and announcement uh, this morning. So I want to allow room for him. But with that being said, there there are a couple different points that I want to point out before I, I leave you all this morning. So first, the provocation of Paul. So Paul was ran out from the Bereans in the city before, and he left Silas and Timothy there to continue to disciple and continue to work that God has started there. And now he finds himself solo and alone in Athens. Silas and Timothy were left in Berea to continue some of the work that was started. And now Paul finds himself all by himself contemplating what to do next. Paul sent for them, for Silas and Timothy, to come to him in Athens. But while there, we see that he started to engage with the Athenians. The text says that Paul was provoked. And I love that word because I think it really set the standard for this passage. It said that Paul was provoked. And the idea of the provocation was that by witnessing what was going on, he was, he was irritated to the point as he had to respond. It's like being stirred up. Has anybody ever had that, that little kid that just keeps tapping? I never realized how frustrating tapping was until I had a little. Like, it's weird, too, is it not? Like, when you tap, it's not annoying. But when they tap, it's like, um, listen, you're not going to have any fingers left if you continue to tap. Please just remove your hand from the table, whatever it is. Or anybody have that kid that just gets on the piano that doesn't really know how to play and just slaps all the keys? It's that. And you're just like, okay, okay, that's this. Man, you're going to be get off the piano. Like, it's, it's one of those. It's provoked. I'm stirred. I, I see something, and, 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 and I, I just I, I can't help myself. I have to engage. I have to engage. I, ha- I have to respond to it. Now, the Athenians were considered by many to be the intellectual, or Athens was considered by many to be the intellectual center of the world. And literally, they had a place for almost every god they could possibly honor. Like they said, you know what? Everybody is going to be represented here. Like this is a, a pluralism at its, at its best. No matter what God you serve or the unknown God or whatever it may be, everybody is represented here. Everybody gets a voice. Throughout the city, there would be temples and shrines and places of worship to various deities. But it was intellectual. It's, it's not entirely unlike our modern day times, although the shrines look a little bit different, I would say, in our modern day times. Our modern day shrines are called fashion labels. They're called car models. What what kind of car do you drive again? They're called political parties or your net worth. Those are the idols that we have. Those are the shrines that we worship at. 
It may be the comfort. It may be how much is your home worth again? Those are the shrines that we pursue. How much money do you make on your job again? Or, or what is your status in life? Or what should you be pursuing? And, and whether you're successful at that or not, nonetheless, so many of us worship at the base of these idols. That's what our temples look like. Things like, I'm an entrepreneur. Or I have a degree. Good for you. But we think somehow, some way, some form that we will sacrifice that which God has called valuable at the altar of these shrines in order to pursue some level of success or notoriety or fame or comfort or whatever it may be. And what makes it even more twisted and wicked is many times we'll throw Christian labors onto it and we'll say, God blessed me. So God blessed you through your selfish ambition that sacrificed your family in the pursuit of that career that made you a whole lot of money in a nice house, but your wife or your husband or your children don't know you? See, our idols look a little different, do they not? And they're, and they're all over the place. And many times they're championed among other religious people, just like they were in Athens. They're celebrated. They're identified. They're, they're, they're encouraged like, oh, you're this and oh, you're that. Like, come and talk to us. And so we bring in these gurus that, that tell us about how they worship at their shrine. Here's how you pursue riches. Here's how you pursue contentment. Here's how you pursue whatever idol we want to worship. We do it all the time. It's our culture. We still have our shrines. We even have, much like the Athenians, more acceptable gods and less acceptable ones. I was listening to a pastor talk the other day, and he was talking about church planting, and there's, and there's nothing wrong with this. I, I want to be clear. But he was talking about, like, man, I'm going to go plant a church, and it's in, like, this really bad neighborhood. Like, there's prostitutes, and there's drugs, and there's crime, and there's murders, and all these things. He's like, amen, go and plant that church. But one thing I've never really heard is a pastor say, I'm going to go plant a church in the suburbs. Well, why? Because there's materialism all over the place. Oh, man, we got respectable sins, don't we? There's classism all over the place. Like, man, I got to deal with this classism, this materialism, this greed, this selfish ambition. Like, there's idols all over the place. I drive down some of these wealthy streets, and all I see is idol, 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 idol. See, we don't have church planters that say that, do we? Or, nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to church plant here. Why? Because I don't see any people of color here, and there's racism going all around. I want to do something about it. And instead, they, they plant there because it's safe. They're safe amongst their idols. These are the guys that they worship. And they don't see it. Many times we don't see it either, but the idols are still there. What do these gods or idols or demigods and heroes that we worship here do for you. I caught myself up in it. Let me be completely honest. Let me be completely transparent. I myself was an entrepreneur. I enjoyed business. I still enjoy business, if I'm being honest with you. I, I enjoy the hustle of business. I enjoy the game. I, it's, like a, it's like a chess match with humans. How do we engage? Who? Okay, what do you do? Okay, and it's, and it's thrilling to me. But, but what happened over the course of time is as I'm pursuing this and this entire society is gassing me up saying, yes, be an entrepreneur. Yes, uh, trailblaze. Yes, uh, you know, change your generational tree. Do all of these things, my wife and my children at home, and they're missing daddy. 
And here I am pursuing and I'm praying and, God, are you with me? I, 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 I want to do this. And all the while, what I'm really pursuing is comfort. And I'm thinking I'm doing it on behalf of my family, but really I'm doing it for me. Because I want to feel valuable. See, because daddy didn't tell me I was valuable, so now I'm trying to fit a hole with entrepreneurialism, with riches, with comfort that really only God could fill. And what was sacrificed at that altar was my family. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Came home one night. I was about to go out and chill with my boys. We were going to watch some uh, UFC fights. About to leave the house. I looked at her. I was like, baby, are you cool? She said, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. It's like, <laughs> no, no. I've been married long enough to know that ain't true. <laughs> nope. I walk out his door. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Price to pay. Baby, are you sure? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm fine. Mm-mm. Oh, hey, hey, fellas. I ain't going to make it. <laughs> I ain't going to make it. Call over, sit down on the couch. Babe, tell me, like, real talk, what's going on? Broke down, started crying. For those who know my wife, she don't cry. I'm like, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, what is this? Somebody messed up. I done done something. Oh, Lord, what is okay. What's going on? You're just not here. You're always going. You're always grinding. And in my mind, I'm like, but I'm doing this for my family, but my family is getting lost in the process. Let me be clear. If God has called you to do something, he's not going to have you sacrifice your family to do it. So there's probably a different God that's calling you. You have to be very careful about what them idols sound like. Had to let it go. One of my prayers is that we will be a people that are stirred, provoked by the idols around us to engage. And mind you, it was this idolatry that presented itself as intellect. Does it not do this here in America? There wasn't a separation between religion and state like what we would think of today. This was their culture. These were idols that shaped culture. And so that's why I believe we have to identify the same types of idols here in our country, here in our society, because these idols were shaping culture. There wasn't a separation where you go worship Buddhism over here, you go worship uh, Muhammad over here, you go worship Jesus over here. No, no. These were idols that shaped the culture, how you behaved, what you did, how you engaged. Paul was stirred to action and engaged with both the Jews there and the general marketplace. So some of them invited Paul to present at the Areopagus and speak his ideas. Next Sunday, we'll talk a little bit more about what that is. But next is his presentation. See, this invitation, though, is interesting to me. So two groups were primarily mentioned in this, the Epicureans and the Stoics. So the Epicureans believed that the chief end of man was pleasure, that do whatever you can to seek the most pleasure in this life. That was Epicureans. Stoics were a little bit different. They said, no, you ought to live your life detached from everything. You ought to remain stoic, unmoved by things. So you had two people groups that, that engaged with him, and then they mocked Paul as a babbler. And the, and the term babbler is a really interesting term. He literally called him a seed picker. Basically, the idea behind it was that Paul, whatever he was talking about, resonated with a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. He, he pieced his stuff together in their mind. He was a seed picker. He, 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 he somehow piecemealed his beliefs together. I find this, though, interesting in its recognition to some degree of truth. And this, is, I think, is the, 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 the most 
vile, the most dangerous thing that this world won't understand. Sometimes Christians don't understand that every truth this world has is God's truth. What they've done, though, is they've taken a little bit of truth and they distorted it to put man at the center rather than God at the center. They heard the gospel and elements of the gospel in the various beliefs. See, I I don't think that Paul had any problem with pleasure at all. I think that Paul said that man's chief pleasure is God. I love what uh, John Piper says periodically, and he talks about how the problem isn't that we pursue pleasure. The problem is we don't pursue the ultimate pleasure, because when I think about the pleasure of this world, it is temporary. It's fleeting. It, it falls away. I mean, think about the pleasure you get from getting a good check, and then the bills come. And it's like, shoot, that was really pleasurable like last week. And now you got to go back and do it again. The, the pleasure that we get from sensual pleasure, and it's there, but then it passes away. The, the pleasure that we get from, from success, and then now you got to maintain the success. you got to do it all over again. See, this pleasure is fleeting, but the pleasure in God is everlasting. See, so I, I believe possibly what they heard Paul talking about is, yeah, Epicureans, pleasure is good, but the ultimate pleasure is found in Yahweh. Well, who? Like, what? What, what? what do you mean? Like, we're not pursuing ultimate pleasure? Like, no, no, no. Continue to pursue pleasure. But let me show you about a better, deeper pleasure. In Stoics, it's good to remain detached. That's, that's, that's perfectly fine. See, some of the stuff in this world you can't hang on to because the earth is passing away, right? It's this idea that, yes, you, you can't remain detached, but what you should attach to is eternity. See, yes, you can let some stuff go, but there still is this idea of pursuing eternity, not just detaching because it makes you self-righteous. See, they, I believe they heard a little bit of them in the gospel, but they realized, wait a minute, the center of this message is somebody different. See, there's a common tactic that the enemy uses, and if we meditated, we'd see it clear enough in not only others' lives, but also in our own. He always takes that which is good and redefines it to place mankind at the center. And it's so subtle. Oh, it's so subtle. I can't count how many churches I've seen it done in. I can't count how many Christian lives I've seen it done in, including my own, where something that started out noble and righteous somehow now has a man at the middle of it that we now worship as Messiah. We won't say that, but, man, we love our Messiahs. We love our, our saviors. We, we, we relish them. We, we subscribe to their podcasts and we read their books. And if they say it, it must be truth. We love our messiahs, do we not? How many movements, how many right causes has been turned left because now all of a sudden it became difficult. And now you say, wait a minute, I'm out of here. But wait a minute, were you called to it because it was easy or were you called to it because it was right? See, mankind has taken the center. However, if you're meditating on these things, you will begin to only interact with God as one thing or another. For example, is God a God of order and lawfulness? Absolutely he is. But he will also overthrow an oppressive system. For example, is God a compassionate God? Absolutely. But he will not allow feelings to override what is righteous and distort truth for personal comfort. See, it's interesting when you begin to engage with ideas as Paul was doing in the marketplace here. One of the primary issues with us today is that we don't really engage with people that we need to and therefore only see God in a limited scope. Let me give an example. We see him as a Republican. 
We see him as a Democrat. We see God as American. We see God as wealthy, either always agreeing with us or forever punishing us. Long story short, we see God how we see ourselves. We, in fact, see God as ourselves. Lo and behold, we have been worshiping an idol all along. It's a subtle bait and switch, how we reprogram God. And in fact, when you really boil it down and you think about what we worship versus what Scripture says he is, we've been worshiping a God of our imagination this entire time. I know this because when he calls us to do stuff that's actually biblical, we say, that's not my God. Consumed with the newest and latest These Athenians sought to have Paul engage in their marketplace of idols. And Paul took them up on it. 